So a great uh, question came up uh, as a result of our study uh, yesterday in the book of Revelation chapter 18 as we finished that chapter. Uh, We've been going through chapter 17 and 18 for a few weeks and uh, looking at the fall of Babylon, okay? Now, one of the questions that comes up about these chapters is uh, whether or not Babylon, as it's described in chapter 17 and 18, is intended by John uh, to be taken as a physical location, the actual city of Babylon that um, had its roots really back in the time of Nimrod in uh, Genesis chapter 10, the Tower of Babel, uh, is is this city in, in uh, the book of Revelation that is mentioned, Babylon, the same city? Is it rebuilt in our day? Does it become the religious, uh, political, and commercial center that it, appe- that it appears as here in the book? Or is it intended to be taken figuratively? Is it supposed to be seen really primarily and maybe merely as representing the system um, of idolatry and everything that ultimately culminates uh, in the system that is under Antichrist in those days. Uh, how are we to take that? How are we to read that passage and understand those passages and understand them? Uh, now, this becomes uh, uh, something to, to further delve into when we realize that in chapter 18, the description is given of the destruction of the city and the resulting response by the kings and the merchants and such is one of weeping and wailing over the city, this great city, that uh, that has now been decimated. It is an ash heap. It is burning, and the smoke rises up. And the and the merchants and the kings who were so attached to it and benefited so much from it are weeping and wailing over it. So when we see these things happening, it raises a number of questions. Again, the the first and primary one is: Is it referring to a literal city? And if so, is it actually the literal city of Babylon? Well, let me speak to that for a moment, and then go on from there. Um, as we've mentioned in our studies and talking about this, uh, my intention is just to kind of succinctly put some of these ideas together in one uh, in one post here. But um, the way that it is described, the Babylon is described in these chapters, especially in chapter eighteen, with the sort of visible uh, destruction of the, of of this place and the visceral response of the people who see it, who uh, are are devastated by its devastation. Uh, would lead us to believe that it is a physical location, that there is something that they are literally looking at and seeing the smoke and the fire of it and the destruction of it, um, somewhat similar to like Sodom and Gomorrah in a way, just the idea that it is a decimated location. It does appear that there is a intended to be a, a sense that this is a physical, literal place. Now that, of course, raises the question, is it actually the city of Babylon? That is restored. Uh, now there are many who hold that it is the literal city of Babylon, the same place that you know uh, existed, the same city and, and center and cultural, economic, political center that it was uh, as one of the dominant empires back in the day. But the city of Babylon, uh, speaking of a uh, of a physical location being rebuilt, is something that is held by many. I don't rule it out. I don't rule that possibility out. I think it, it is entirely possible that the literal city of Babylon could be rebuilt. However, there's also a very strong uh, uh, view, a well-held and well-supported view, that in fact Babylon is intended to be seen as sort of a code word for Rome. Now, I think there's a lot of credence to this too. Uh, uh, the idea, as a matter of fact, if uh, we've mentioned uh, Hislop's writings on the two Babylons, we've 
um, um, kind of spent some time considering uh, just lightly some of the, the the thinking behind his writing on that, uh, um, really putting forth Rome as 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 being uh, what's ultimately in view when we talk about Babylon sitting on seven hills, the religious um, implications behind some of that and all that sort of thing. There's there's a lot of sense to be made from that book. It's it's a it's it's worth reading on your own if you can get a copy of it, which you can. You can order copies, but. Uh, anyway, it's insightful, and it makes a pretty strong case for uh, the idea of, of of Rome being what's in view in code when Babylon is mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, bolstering that idea is the fact that in John's time, when he wrote the book of Revelation, even though the book, I believe, is very forward future thinking, uh, in, in his immediate context, Rome was the superpower uh, in his day, and I, I think with... I think what can be made from a biblical case of the uh, of the mindset of the imminent coming of Christ uh, that in his mind he may have been thinking that well Rome is likely this this city and so it's uh, he may be speaking of the spirit of Babylon that ultimately you know again found its roots back in in uh, uh, among uh, Nimrod's efforts ultimately around today although it is being expressed through the governance the city the uh, the empire of Rome. Now, I think adding to that is the fact that when Antichrist comes to power in the last days, his power and throne and authority uh, will ultimately grow out of a revived Roman Empire. And so there's a lot to be said for that that idea. Um, But one of the questions that does come up uh, when we read a passage like in in Revelation 18, and this is actually where where the question came from from one of our our dear saints in our church, brought up and said, well, I'm a little uh, unsure about this because... How would people in ships see Babylon? Babylon's far, far inland from uh, the ocean and those kinds of things. So would they be able to see? I mean, that would have to be quite a destruction and fire and smoke to be seen from that distance and that kind of thing. Or the waters would have to rise significantly for that to be visible and that kind of thing. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. A couple of things I would say to that. Um, That um, much like we see... In other scriptures, in regard to every eye seeing and and everyone seeing what's going on, for example, places like um, uh, Revelation uh, here, just in Revelation eleven, where it talks about the two witnesses and how after the Antichrist has the power to kill them, uh, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. And here, it's there's reference actually to Jerusalem. Again, the idea that. You know, even though a city may have a proper name, it could be actually intended to be representing something else. In this case, it would be Jerusalem, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Um, now, when it says that uh, they ultimately then are resurrected, um, presum- presumably those who ultimately saw them in the streets. Uh, we'll see them rise from uh, the dead and be caught up into heaven in that. But notice what it says about those who see these bodies. Uh, it speaks about those from peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. Okay, In other words, the, the implication seems to be that everybody is going to see this. Well, these are just two people in Jerusalem who ultimately um, uh, are prophesying and, and ultimately then are, are killed by and performing signs and wonders as well. They ultimately are killed by Antichrist, and then they rise from the dead. Well, how can how can everybody see them? 
You know, I mean, it's impossible for everybody to just physically see them like I can see my computer here or, or someone in the next room or something. How would everybody be able to see that? Well, one of, one of two ways to explain that would be that, well, everybody who's around there at the time would see it and that kind of thing. That's possible. But I think really what John was seeing was some means by which everybody was able to see this. Now, John would not have been privy to the kind of technology that we have today, but it's possible that from John's perspective, somehow in the way that the vision was given to him, he was able to recognize that all of mankind was able to witness these events happening. Well, in our day, we have no problem understanding how that could be. Uh, Chances are when the witnesses are killed and they rise from the dead, anybody who's alive during that time is going to be able to just open up their phone and watch a live report from some news channel, a news outlet. Uh, They're going to be able to see video from people taking video on their phone and follow it on their Twitter feed or their Facebook feed or something or whatever social media happens to be prominent at the time, um, extant at the time. Well, I think in the same way, when it comes to Babylon, ultimately... um, becoming an ash heap and, and, and everybody sees us, the merchants at sea and all this kind of thing. It may not be that they literally physically have their eyes on it from their physical location so much as they're watching in much the same way um, these events taking place and being broadcast on the news and that kind of a thing. I think it's possible that uh, this passage where that is fulfilled is probably fulfilled in that way. Um, Back in the time when uh, Matthew or Luke um, or, uh, or Mark wrote about the coming of, second coming of Christ, there was mention about how lightning, matter of fact, just turn to, um, just turn to Matthew 24, because I like the fact that there's the addition of this additional, these words in verse 27, where, it's, uh, t- where Jesus is talking about his coming and how you can tell the difference between the false reports and the real coming. He says, don't worry about when people say he's over here, he's over there, he's in the inner chambers, or he's out in the desert or something like that. Instead, he says, um, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, uh, verse 26, uh, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he goes on later in verses... um, uh, Verse 30 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so the the picture seems to be that of this global event where lightning, like lightning flashing across the sky, the coming of the Son of Man will be dramatic and viewable by many and maybe everybody on the earth at the same time. Um, Now, when that word was given the natural understanding would be that, okay, you're describing something where everybody can look up in the sky and wherever they are, they can see the coming of the Son of Man. Now, in that particular instance, I happen to think that's how that'll play out. However, it's not outside the realm of possibility that, like in the examples we just gave, that when the Son of Man comes and he arrives, uh, I would imagine if his, if his coming, where he, he will land on the mount, set foot on the Mount of Olives, as it says, um, at the very least, he appears over Jerusalem and comes back to the earth and that kind of thing. It may be that everybody can see it just supernaturally somehow that, that coming is something that just fills the skies. Or again, like our previous examples, it might very well be that those in that area where Jesus actually descends and sets foot on the Mount of Olives, that people will have their phones. There will be newscasts. There will be uh, media coverage of this that will allow everybody to see it happening in real time. 
Um, I say all that just simply to say that, you know, we live in an age now where ideas like this really can make sense. Um, you know, um, events like the rapture, I believe, could have happened at any point after the resurrection of Christ and could happen at any moment. Uh, it, it, he may come right now and snatch us away in that regard. But his second coming does have a lot of information about it recorded in Scripture. Some things, like the idea of every eye seeing and that kind of thing, some of the events in the book of Revelation that take place before his second coming, uh, almost require a level of technology that was unavailable at the time there for some of these things to be taken literally as true and not just spiritualize them or something. Uh, again, we live in a day now where seeing some of these things makes perfect, reading these things and imagining how they could happen in our lives today make perfect sense because technologically we have the means to do that. Somebody in the farthest reaches of some obscure part of the world could still have a mobile device. You know, it's um, it's not uncommon. And so it is very, very possible that that this could take place in our day and this would be how it would take place in our day. So anyway, it was a great, great question, and I just thought I would take a few minutes to go ahead and talk about that and try and answer it, and um, you know, maybe it answers some questions for you as well. So, But that said, uh, you can always feel free to share any questions and thoughts that you might have. Uh, some of those I'll, I, as, as you know, if you've been watching, every now and then I take one or more of those and take a podcast to answer them, or do at least give my best shot at it. So anyway, hopefully that was useful for you, and if you have a question of your own that you'd like to have addressed... Let me know. My, my general thinking on questions is if one person's wondering it, probably others are wondering it as well. So that being said, again, thanks for watching. Thanks for questions. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to take a shot at answering them. And uh, just pray that uh, you continue to join in as we make our way through the Word of God, as we talk about the various topics that we cover here on this, uh, on this, uh, on this channel. So thank you so much for joining in. And uh, Father, we just thank you for the promises, uh, for all that is coming. We thank you for the unveiling of your final purposes and wrapping up of human history that is soon coming. Father, we do live in the tension where we want to see people saved. We want to bring the gospel to the nations and make disciples of the nations and baptize them, teach them to follow and all the things that Jesus taught. But Father, we recognize that your plans and purposes are sure. They will come to pass. They will not delay. They will happen exactly when you have ordained and decided that they will take place. So we do look forward with great anticipation, rejoicing even as the angel encouraged, um, um, you know, in, 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 in that transition from the fall of Babylon to changing our attention and focus to the celebrating in heaven over the end of this wickedness and such. We too want to join in that celebration. We long with great desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Father, we just pray that um, that we would soon see uh, these things established, and even more so, uh, even sooner than that, I should rather say. Uh, we look forward to Jesus coming to snatch us away, to bring us home, uh, to to see you face to face, to be there in your presence, uh, finally, leaving behind um, this world that um, that one day you will change. Thank you for all of these things, Father. We love you, we praise you, and bless you for all of this, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>